we've used as a basis of that, uh, Psalm 20 or Proverbs 24, verse 3 through 4, that says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding is established, by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And so our challenge is to build a house with wisdom and understanding so that there would be a fresh aroma flowing in and through our homes. Some time ago, I uh, was doing some wiring in a house we had upstairs, and it's an older farmhouse, and, and I had the breakers turned off for all the upstairs outlets and all the upstairs lights, and, and so as I cut into the wire, because certainly they would have kept the straight line circuit in an old farmhouse. No, I thank God I had rubber on the cutters, and uh, poof! And uh, so I'm like, what on earth is going on here? And so as I traced it, this upstairs bedroom on the opposite side was tied into the kitchen on the lower floor on the other side. Who does that? And, uh, but, uh, so I was in a rude awakening, and I was introduced to a power that was present in my home, and I wasn't exactly sure how it all worked together. And um, so awareness of power in the electrical field is kind of crucial. Um, and how much more is the awareness of power in our homes? That you and I would draw upon that power and be aware of it and activate that power, that power which can transform our homes. And I want to remind you that this message is for every kind of family. Broken families, what we would call traditional families, single parent families, empty nesters. It's for all of us for every family, and the applications would be even wider spread for us as a church family. And so as I go through this, please think of yourself, not your spouse, not your children necessarily. Think of you and your home and how you could live these out. Because this comes from a constant theme, that deep conviction that the Christian home is the most significant place on earth. It is a place that's called, that we're called to be different from the culture around us. We're to be a God place we're to be an honoring place of all those who are in our home and who come in our home. So what's this power that can impact our homes? Well, it's the power of grace is where it starts. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we've been saved by grace, not by works, lest anybody should boast. We're saved by grace. It all begins there. God's relentless love, His relentless kindness is summed up in the word grace. It's really what sets your home and my home apart from all the rest. Now how we respond to this wonderful gift of grace takes many forms. There's many things you and I can do in our homes in response to God's grace. You could say they're gifts that we can give. One is the gift of repentance and forgiveness. Now I understand these words sound religious. They sound clean. But the practice of these two grace-based words is sweaty and it's hard. I'm a sinful man, for sure. And a willingness to confess it will release the effects of God's grace in my home. Because, because I'm sinful, I need a Savior. And because of that, I turn to Him and call upon His grace. And so comparing myself to others in the family in my home is useless. I need a Savior. So does everybody in my home. So does everybody in your home. And you need a Savior. We're all in need of grace. Our homes 
will really never become what God wants if we avoid this truth. If we avoid the truth of our own sinfulness because someone else, even our children, has the same problem. You see, before God, that doesn't get us off the hook. There's grace in our homes and there's power. The power of grace when it's an operation in our homes. Matthew 7, 3-5. They might, might be familiar verses to you, but I want you to think of these in the context of your home. Okay, in the relationships in your home. Jesus speaking, he says, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? Or your sister's? Or your mom's? Or your dad's? But you do not notice the log that's in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. As parents, we often accuse our children of sin we ourselves are guilty of. Anger, maybe lack of discipline, harsh, maybe they're belittling, disrespectful. And each of us as parents cannot sidestep this issue. Because in selecting families, God had no choice but to select sinful people. And as parents, we must be quick to repent when our sin is present. And when we do, it releases this power of grace. When we're thoughtless, though, when there's thoughtless remarks and there's lack of forgiveness extended and offered, it squelches what God wants to do in our homes. Parents, you set the example. When's the last time you said to your child, I'm sorry? When's the last time you owned up to your sinfulness? It's a challenge. Don't hate me right now if you're uncomfortable. Um, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, and so you're just kind of eavesdropping. Um, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. They need to be familiar refrains on all of our lips because our natural tendency is to grade others' misdeeds more harshly than we wish to be graded ourselves. But when there's genuine repentance, forgiveness follows like a healing salve on a scraped knee. Intellectually, I think we understand forgiveness, but when embroiled in a situation where we've been wronged, forgiveness is hard to extend. When we've wronged another, it's hard to throw ourselves on the mercy of the one we've wronged for sure. It's tough, but it's a gift. Releases grace and the joy of right relationships is experienced. Gratitude, it's another gift. Since the beginning of time, parents are trying to get their kids to say thank you. Because it's an important response to grace. Being thankful is very important in our homes. A Christian home where grace lives is a home where people are grateful. They say the words often. There might be thank you notes. And Scripture teaches gratitude is serious business. You and I might not consider not being thankful as a sin, but apparently God doesn't see it that way. Romans 1.21, we read that ungodly people express their rebellion. How? By being ungrateful. It led to foolish and darkened hearts. You see, God's serious about this issue of gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, Paul wrote about what it takes to live in concert with the will of God. Gratitude was a part of living in concert with the will of God. You see, gratitude's an expression of grace in our homes. Do you as a family tell God thank you? When you bow in prayer together, do you thank Him for everything that you have? Do you thank one another 
for their role in the home. You see, gratitude is a gift, and it helps release the power of grace in our homes. Ephesians 4.32 tells us another gift we can give. It's called the gift of tenderness. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you. I mentioned repentance and forgiveness as examples of grace, but Paul also encourages us to be tender-hearted. That word tender-hearted literally means to be smeared with inward affection. Kind of like smearing jelly on a muffin. You just kind of smear it. And that's how we bring tenderness into our home. We smear it on our relationships. And oftentimes, tenderness is something we bring intentionally into our homes. It's a quality you prepare before your family, before you get together. Ahead of time, you seek to affirm the things you love about people in your home as you and I tenderly interact with them. There's another gift you and I can give that will release the power of grace in our home. It's the gift of generosity. It's an abundance mentality. You see, your home is the best place to practice generosity. But this expression, let's be honest, doesn't come naturally. Think about your kids, how often they would, as a young age, would say, that's mine, no, it's mine, and they would fight, and you came and tried to bring some diplomacy to the situation. That didn't go so good, did it? Because they want what they want when they want it. It's hard for them to be generous, whether it's Legos or whatever. And so we're trying to teach our kids to be generous, and as parents, after a while, we forget we're, well, we're supposed to be generous too. Acts 20.35, it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You could also say it's more, more important to give than to have. Look for fun and creative ways as a family to express grace by being generous. A family application you could have is, do you know a family or a person you could help meet their need? And maybe as a family gather together to do it, whatever that would look like. Because a Christian home is a place where the door is open to all guests, where at least 10% is given to God, and where people are willing to share their toys. See, there's power. The power of grace is released when we're generous. But then there's the power of words. If you saw The Three Amigos, interesting movie, kind of fun. And there's a scene in there because these are like three fictional guys who, they're good guys and they stand for justice and they, they kind of ride around and, and, and they're TV-like personalities. Well, they're invited to this small town and uh, they're, they're riders of justice. They want to right the wrongs. And uh, in their mind, this, this particular thing is going to be all fully orchestrated. So they come into town, and they're ready to shoot, shoot it out with the bad guys. And they're shooting their blanks and kind of carrying out their roles. All of a sudden, I think it's Steve Martin gets hit with a bullet, a real one. And he says, great, they're using real bullets. It's a fun scene. And uh, one thing, though, that is really challenging is our home is this. When words are spoken, they're always real. Your words are real bullets every single time you use them. And they have an impact. They're never blanks. Your words are actual bullets. Their impact is absolute every time. In light of this, we need to be careful of haphazard words. I'll be home by 6 o'clock. I'll be there, honey. 
They're real words with real meanings. Strive to have a home where people treat words as valuable and precious. Maybe you're not convinced words are powerful. I'll let the Bible tell you they are. James 3, 2-5, through 5, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole family as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of many great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. In verse 8, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Yes, our words are real. Jesus summarized, summarized what I was saying like this. He said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than comes from the evil one. In other words, let your speech, let your tongue be truthful because it has an impact. Think of living in a home where, hey, I'll, I'll be there at this time or, or, or I'll do that for you and I'll be home soon mean exactly that. Think of a home where words are spoken carefully. They're measured. Think of a home where words are gracious and they're kind. Hear and heed this, everyone in your home. Your mouths are loaded guns. And the words you speak are powerful. Words are to be carried about with the utmost care. They're precious. They can be formidable. Let's apply a rule in our homes. No one can finish the statement, you are, in a negative way. There's a simple rule. Instead, you can only finish that you are with a blessing. With encouragement. That's a great rule in our homes. Instead, talk positively. Real blessing they are. Character qualities you see develop. Proverbs 16.24 Pleasant words are a honeycomb. They're sweet to the soul and they're healing to the bones. That should be motivation enough to speak sweet words. Use words that comfort and encourage. Remember last week I talked about the five-minute rule? Someone said they remembered it this week. Way to go. First five minutes to your home. First five minutes you walk in the door. Make those crucial moments their key. Maybe this is another application within that context. Use your words very, very carefully. But especially those first five minutes. Make them positive, encouraging. Especially with our children. Especially at night. Sometimes all our families need is a handful of words that can lay down next to them and comfort them until they fall asleep. Maybe you've never thought about that. What are the final words you speak to your children before they lay their head in bed? Those are words that are laying next to them as they fall asleep. Let's be careful with the words we choose. We also need not only to, to, to avoid haphazard words, but proper dosage of words. One of the secrets to using words effectively with your family is giving yourself a chance to actually use them. Now, electronic devices here can be a wonderful thing, but they should come with warning labels because they can be extremely dangerous in this area if not taken in proper doses. By this mean, they can be dangerous to a family because they eat up time that we could be using words, healthy words, healthy conversation with one another. 
Because when you're not talking, you're not connecting. And when you're not connecting, you're not acting like a family. Talk more during car trips. Take advantage of these choice opportunities. Talk more at the dinner table. Out in the backyard, on the deck. Take opportunities to just communicate so you can use words to bless and encourage because there's power in our words. This one might surprise you. There's also the power of laughter. We're told from Proverbs 17.22 that laughter is great medicine. It cheers the heart. This revolves around being together, laughing at yourself, not others. I came across a great quote by a priest, French priest, named Henry de Torville, and he wrote this. He says, It's a splendid habit to laugh inwardly at yourself. It's the best way of regaining your good humor and defying God without the anxiety. You and I need to learn to lighten up a little bit. Laugh at ourselves, not at others. Sarcasm and laughing at other people, teasing is, is not really appropriate because it doesn't help build our homes. We're back to the power of words. And so I'm not talking about that. We don't want to laugh at each other, but we certainly need to laugh at ourselves more. And I wonder if our homes have a happy display. Happy display items to draw others in to being in our presence. You see, the ability to laugh and lighten up is like chocolate cake in a store window. It just draws people in. How's the laughter quotient in your home? Man, there's plenty of opportunities to laugh. There's plenty of opportunities to have fun. Don't miss them. You see, the result in our home when laughter is present is there's far less tension. Fewer broken hearts. Fewer angry outbursts. Humor and laughter is wonderfully contagious. In a home, your laughter can bind a family together. It can make your home and my home a place where each other smile. That's kind of a fun thought. Your home, is it a place where people smile? Is it a place where people laugh and just enjoy being together? There's a fourth thing, power in our home that releases God working. It's the power of safety. This is a refuge that you and I need. The world is a scary place, especially for our children. They're preyed on. Our children look around, especially, and we see people disappearing just this week. Somebody disappearing, wars, riots in Baltimore. That's a scary place for our children. In the face of this unmistakable anxiety, there's one place that needs to stand out like a fortress against this nagging sense of fear and dread. That place is your home and my home. It needs to be a place of safety. It needs to be a place where our children and our spouses want to come to because they know they're going to be safe. And where can you and I go with all these things that bring anxiety? Our homes. And one of the goals we all should have is establishing homes that are places of safety for our families. Now I'd be wrong not to interject that I know some of you come from an upbringing that was far from safe. And for that I'm very, very sorry. You had to go through that. But I, want, I have good news. Your home that you live in now doesn't need to be that type of place. God can change it. And you can start and turn a generational problem into a new direction, a new future as you now create your home and your family a place of safety, a place where people are honored and treated 
like Jesus would treat them. There's three other elements I have in mind here. A safe place to tell the truth. Over the years when I was youth pastor especially, I'd have teenagers come share real personal things, maybe suicidal thoughts or, or, or pregnancy or just a whole gamut of different things. And I would always ask them, have you talked to your parents? And oftentimes, probably at least 80%, I was met with no. And I said, why? I don't feel safe doing it. Our words need to be homes. Our, play, our homes need to be places where people are safe to tell the truth. Is your home safe place to tell the truth? Or do your children dread the repercussions if they told the truth? And I would say this to children, tell the truth the first time. It will always go better. I promise you. Tell the truth the first time. Or if you're responsible for something, own up to it. That helps your home, it helps your family, it helps you as a person. We all can help build safe place when there's truth-telling and it's valued. We also need safe place to make mistakes. Man, as as spouses, this is crucial. And as with children. And at this point, it's good to remember, aren't you glad God did not wait to love us until we shaped up? God was patient with us. We made mistakes in His his love and full force when we were utter failures. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a great model for you and I. Because we all need the same thing, grace. We all need a place to know that we won't be ridiculed or beaten up because of our mistakes. Give each other room. Give each other understanding. Brothers to sisters, sisters to brothers. Husbands to wives, parents to kids, we're all going to mess up. Cut each other a little slack. There'd be a safe place to make mistakes. Also, a safe place to ask anything. Our homes need to be a places where questions about the unthinkable are accepted, where discussions are open and free. I do a lot of premarital counseling, and one of the questions we issues we deal with is sexuality and and some of the questions are geared towards when they grew up did they discuss these things at home and a a frightening majority of young couples I counsel said no it was never talked about at home which leads me to the second question if sexuality and some of the more intimate things weren't talked about at home where did they get their information and isn't that frightening man your homes my homes need to be a safe place to ask anything to talk about anything. Where our children can come to mom and dad and say, I know this is intimate, it's kind of awkward and kind of confusing, but I know it's okay to talk about it here. I know I'm safe talking about these things. You're going to go home later today. You're going to walk in a, a building, a structure. You call it home, but it's not really home. It's just a place where your home resides because your home is people. It's your spouse, it's your children. And God's placed you in your family, in your home. These are meant to be the most important people in your life. It's worth you and I making efforts to release power in our homes. The power of grace, the power of words, 
the power of laughter, the power of safety, because these, these will transform your home. And maybe others in your home won't work at it. No guarantee. Maybe others will give a little effort. But God calls you specifically to do your best in the power of His Spirit. To not compare your efforts with others, but to before God say, I do this for you, to please you, knowing that the end result is I will be a blessing to my family. So will you make your home a place of grace? Will you make your home a place where words are carefully used to bless? Will you make your home a place filled with laughter? Will you make your home a place of safety? So when you come home each day, relax. Take a deep breath. This place is a refuge. It's called your family. So strive to be a home where these four expressions are released. And I would encourage you, if your family has been what you would call a mess, maybe your family right now is far from functioning in any of these areas or one of them, I want to encourage you today to gather your family together and say we may have gone down this direction, but not today. Today we're going to change course. Today maybe we need to start being more concerned about our words. Or maybe as parents you need to repent and say we've brought way too much tension in this home, forgive us. Maybe children, you need to repent of your disobedience. There might need to be some real tears shed in your homes. I don't know where your, fam- your family and your homes are at. God does. But God wants your home to be different, to be a God place, to be an honoring place. And these are the ways it can be so. The ways that Scripture talks about the power that is available in our homes. Might each of us express these in our homes today. I want to pray for each of your homes, each of your families. I'd like you to grab the hands of your family next to you, your spouses, your children. I want to pray for you. Our Father, first of all, we would be remiss not to thank you that you've made it possible to be called your son, your daughter, to be a part of the family of God. God, thank you for that. Thank you that you made a way. And thank you, God, for your love for us because your love is the perfect model for our homes. God, I pray for each family here. We're at different places. Our children are at different ages. Some homes are empty of children now. They've moved on. There might have been broken marriage involved, and there's one parent you're now left to pick up the pieces. And what a challenge that is. God, for them I pray, extra mercy and grace. I pray, God, that you would knit our relationships in our homes better, deeper. I pray, God, for the prodigals maybe in this room who've walked away from mom and dad and, and they need to repent and come back. I think of maybe spouses and parents who need repentance to one another. And forgiveness needs to be extended. God, please help that to happen. Lord, I just pray that you would so move in our homes that they would be transformed. Lord, that forgiveness and laughter, words of blessing and and safety would begin to mark our homes because you're there and you're working and we're surrendering to what you're doing. 
So God, thank you. So I cover each home. I pray blessing over each home, God. Continue your perfect work. For the glory of your name, I pray. Amen.